Welcome to the newest Cutting Edge episode of OTRs, titled Going One Step Deeper, Heat Stress Prior to and After Birth. Big takeaway number one, OTRs. Prenatal cooling has no effect on ad-lib milk replacer and concentrate intakes, but postnatal cooling significantly increased overall dry matter intakes. And this came in the form of both milk replacer and concentrate intakes between weeks three and eight over all non-cooled calves. Big takeaway number two OTRs, postnatal cooling tended to reduce medication events for fever and infection, whereas prenatal cooling tended to reduce the number of esophageal tube feedings required due to low milk ingestion in calves. Big takeaway number three OTRs. Postnatal heat stress calves had a statistically significant increased average daily gain over all of the other groups. And this occurred during weeks two to three of their life. And both pre and postnatal calves, calves that experienced pre and postnatal heat stress, were the only groups to show negative average daily gain during weaning and rearing events. Prenatally cooled calves, on the other hand, were born 5.3 pounds heavier than their peers and had a tendency for almost a quarter pound better average daily gain. So what's the ultimate message, OTRs? Ultimately, what we can all agree on is that cooling your dry cows is a really good idea and that cooling your calves tends to have significant health and welfare benefits but may cause feed efficiency sacrifice. We are simply trying to understand millennia of complex evolutionary and physiologic biology with a handful of baby calves. Realistically, only time and more research will tell the net outcome of these combined variables. So stay tuned, OTRs, as we dive deep into this article and give you little factoids that you can take back to your farms to facilitate conversations about prefresh heat abatement and potential heat abatement in baby calves. So the real challenge is, how do veterinarians like us, who don't have the time, resources, or financial backing of a multi-million dollar company, who are faced with irregular work schedules, on calls, and emergencies, how can we facilitate our own personal and professional growth so we can continue to offer superior service to our clients while still remaining competitive in today's market. That is the challenge, and this podcast will provide you the roadmap to its solution. I'm your host, Dr. Eric, and welcome to Operators to Owners. Welcome back, OTRs. Today's cutting-edge episode is titled Pre- and Postnatal Heat Stress Abatement affects dairy calf thermoregulation and performance. It comes from a Journal of Dairy Science article published by Dadozin, Vega, Torres Riviera, Field, Mario, Davidson, Tao, Fabrius, Ortiz Cohn, Dahl, and Laporta. It comes out of the University of Florida, and the objective of this study was to determine whether prenatal heat stress or heat stress abatement could affect short-term thermal regulatory and productive responses in similar 
or opposing postnatal environments. Given our rapid introduction to summer, this is a timely article that can help facilitate a discussion about heat abatement in dry cows, which has already been established as the best area to invest in for heat abatement systems. But I also chose this article to stimulate some discussion about heat abatement in the often ignored dairy calf. So as usual, before we begin OTRs, we're going to go through some foundational background information. And first of all, it's well documented that heat stress causes significant economic impacts in dairies. St. Pierre in 2003 and Fiera in 2016 estimated around $2 billion of economic impact annually. Prenatal heat stress is also known to cause low birth weights, lower weaning weights, shorter gestations, and retarded fetal growth as proven by Tao in 2012 and Montiero in 2014 and 16. Tao also went on to show that prenatal heat stress compromises passive transfer, total protein, hematocrit, and impairs cellular immune functions in these calves. If these animals overcome and survive this early deficit, they are often destined to make less milk than their peers. And Montiero in 2016 and Skeebel in 2018 showed that they make approximately 4.4 to 11 pounds less milk per day over the lactation. Much of our understanding of the importance of calf heat abatement and the lack of adequate research has been muddied by the fact that only estimates exist for the upper end of a calf's thermal neutral zone. Now, New Earth in 1979 and Spain and Spears in 1996 suggested that this upper range is approximately 26 to 32 centigrade or 79 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Pre-weaned calves are also often ignored in the heat stress conversation due to their larger mass to surface ratio and smaller heat loads as a quote-unquote non-functional ruminant. But the foundation of this study is based on the research by Vanderlin in 2009, Soberin in 2012, and Heger in 2016, which all showed consequences of heat stress in young stock before and after birth. Coleman, Spain and Piers, and Carter in 1996, 1996, and 2014 respectively added importance to this research by showing that higher ambient temperatures and humidity led to elevated calf rectal temperatures, skin temperatures, and respiratory rates. Hill in 2011 and Lopez in 2018 showed that this heat stress reduced average daily gain and weaning weight versus calves with heat abatement provided. This was driven by decreases in feed intake and increases in water intakes, as shown by Bede and Collier in 1986 and Brodick in 2008. This study also sought to model after some porcine research done by Hillman in 2009, Johnson in 2014, and Johnson and Baumgart in 2019, which showed long-lasting offspring effects in heat-stressed animals pre- and postnatally heat-stressed. This included increased core body temps, reduced thermal tolerance, reduced whole body water accretion, 
and reduced glucose concentrations in heat-affected animals. Also of note is that this is the first study of its kind to investigate pre- and postnatal heat stress effects and their combined effects on calves. So how do they do this study, OTRs? Let's dive into the methods. This research was conducted May to November of 2018 at the University of Florida. The dry cows were bedded on sand bedded freestalls with either shade only or shade plus sprinklers and fans, which kicked in at that thermal heat index or the THI of about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. 48 bull or heifer calves were born to these cows. 24 from these heat abatement cows and 24 from non-heat abatement cows. And those groups were actually further broken down at two days of age into a pre and post heat stress group. So what we ended up with was four groups OTRs. We ended up what we'll call a hot and hot group, a hot and cold group, a cold and hot group, and a cold and cold group. But basically the animals were either hot or heat abated but it's just easier to refer to them as hot and cold, okay? So again, hot or cold, pre-fresh or in utero, and then hot or cold in the wet period. Calves were cooled using one horizontal box type fan and one angled vertical type fan during that wet calf period. And the fans kicked on when the ambient temperature was greater than 20 Celsius or 68 degrees Fahrenheit with the goal being to achieve that lactating cow standard of wind speeds for cooling of two meters per second of wind speed within that pen. Now, during the study, calves were fed four liters of colostrum two hours after birth, and they were housed individually then for two days and fed four liters twice a day during that period of a 2815 accelerated milk replacer. After the first two days, they moved into group pens where they were fed 10 liters per day of milk but were tubed if they failed to drink one liter by 9 a.m. or four and a half liters by 7 p.m. Weaning began at 42 days of age with a two liter step down every two days until they were completely weaned at 52 days of age. During the study, the researchers monitored milk replacer intakes, starter intakes, environmental factors such as temperature, wind speed, pen particle matter, number of particulates, air quality index, formaldehyde, total volatile organic carbons, environmental temp, humidity, and THI. Calf body temp was recorded using eye buttons, which are small little metal buttons that record over time of the actual temperature. They come from the electronic or semiconductor industry. And they were placed under the tail with vet wrap. And then they also conducted rectal temperatures three times per day. Respiratory rate, skin temperature, and heart rate were also monitored during those three times per day rectal temp checks. Weight was tracked weekly, as well as average daily gain being calculated, hip heights being monitored, hip widths being monitored, withers heights being monitored, and body condition scores being taken. Health was tracked by events through health scores from the UW-Madison scoring rubric for calves, plus farm treatment records. Blood samples were taken weekly for hematocrit, total protein, fatty acids, BHB, and glucose. An initial blood sample was taken to test that serum IgG level at 24 hours of birth as well. So that's it. It's a pretty simple study with a ton of data points. <laughs> Literally, as I was reading this, I was like, they just took everything, a whole handful of spaghetti and threw it at the wall and see what would actually stick. And you can tell that this is kind of one of those initial 
probing studies, trying to figure out which direction to go in the future with more research. So let's talk a little bit brief overview of the results. I usually skip this OTRs, but there's so much information from so many data points. I think there's a couple pieces in here that you can kind of pull out, talk to your producers about before we get to that thoughts section. So, so what really stuck? Well, let me give you again that quick overview. When the authors cooled the dry cows, the pre-fresh cows, they dropped the body temps of those cows by about 0.2 degrees Celsius, and the cooled calves post-fresh, or basically in that wet calf period, were about a half to one degree Celsius less than their uncooled peers, or about 0.9 to 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit less. Cooling these calves also resulted in faster drops from the highest to the lowest body temperature, but didn't appear to have as great of a difference when the temperatures reached their highest point of the day. As well, pre-weaned cooling showed no effect on the wet calf's overall body temperature. One area that the authors noted a pre and postnatal interaction was in the area of thermal regulation when monitored by respiratory rate. In this measurement, the hot and then cold calves had a lower respiratory rate in the AM and PM, while the hot, hot calves had the highest. Prenatal cooling had no effect on milk replacer and concentrate intakes, but postnatal cooling significantly decreased overall dry matter intake in the form of bigger milk replacer and concentrate intakes during weeks three to eight and displayed increased intakes during the weaning period over non-cooled calves. Prenatally cooled calves did display a 2.4 kg increase in body weight over their peers and had a tendency for a better average daily gain of about a quarter of a pound. Conversely, only postnatal heat stress calves had a statistically significant average daily gain over the other groups during the wet period. And this only occurred during weeks two and three of age. Now, pre and postnatally heat stressed calves were the only ones to experience negative average daily gain during the weaning period. Postnatal cooling tended to reduce medication events for fever and infection. And prenatal cooling tended to reduce the number of esophageal tube feedings required due to low milk ingestion. Finally, the blood parameters that were monitored showed elevated hematocrits in prenatal cooled calves as well as postnatal cooled calves and elevated BHB post-weaning in postnatally cooled calves. So what can we conclude from this OTRs? Well, the authors concluded that postnatal heat stress induces changes in thermal regulatory responses but the use of fans postnatally was effective in reducing the effect of this heat stress. Next, they concluded the prenatal heat stress reduction improves body weight gains, circulating IgG, hematocrit, and reduces esophageal tube feedings. Next, they concluded that postnatal heat stress moderates feed intake, calf health, and thermal regulatory responses. Finally, Although pre- and postnatally cooled calves did not perform most optimally out of all the four groups, when they were taken individually, broken out into pre- or just post-cooled calves, they did promote overall better calf growth 
and welfare. So what are my thoughts, OTOers, on this study? Very interesting study. Like I said, it's kind of a probing study. Not a ton of power. We can get a lot of tendencies and we can see some increases and decreases, but not a ton of statistically significant results in this. Obviously, again, a probing study. But based on previous literature and conference proceedings, the impact of the pre-fresh cow's heat stress status on its offspring has been well documented. And this study did much to reinforce that previous knowledge, showing increases in birth weight, body weights, hematocrit, IgG levels, respiratory rate, rectal temperature, tendencies for better average daily gains, all from calves born from cooled dams. And all those factors obviously will play a large role in the long-term production of that animal. The pre-programming of these calves, I think, is undeniable when you think about it at this point. As... (laughs) My astute associate told me while I was discussing this article with him, one might go as far as to say that the number one placement on a dairy to invest financially in heat abatement for long-term returns is heat abatement in the dry cows. I really enjoyed the author's connection also of this research with some of that porcine research that was done by Johnson in 2013 that showed if these heat stress conditions occurred in utero or after birth, both cause that same rectal temp variation, thermoregulatory variation, and overall production variation. So we can say that while that dam effect is well established, it's less known in dairy calves and in in bovine model overall, the effect of heat abatement in calves in that pre-weaning period. And as the author said themselves, this is going to be the first study of its type to evaluate fan usage for heat stress abatement in grouped calves and comparing that to heat stress abatement in those pre-fresh cows or those in utero calves. One area of concern that I do have about this article and the topic overall is really uh, the comment that they made or I made um, and summarized for you, I guess, in the introduction section of the lack of true thermal neutral temperatures in these calves. The concern that I have with that is they used mature cow cooling wind speeds at two meters per second or that four and a half miles per hour to cool these calves. And I'm wondering if these levels may have surpassed the previous research that suggested cooling calves with fans was helpful. And this was done by Hill, and they didn't describe in that article. I went through that article. They didn't talk about the actual wind speeds they did in that article. But that article showed improvements in average daily gain in feed efficiency in these cooled calves. So if they got too fast in the study or too much wind speed, that might have actually caused the cool-slash-hot calves to become the most efficient calves because these cold, cold calves were using more calories to try and stay warm in that postnatal period. So they didn't perform as well as their peers who were actually heat stressed in that period. And again, that might have been caused by the cooling dropping the temperatures below a thermal neutral zone at that point during the day. Again, compromising efficiency due to the shunting of the nutrients to heat creation rather than actual growth. I think ultimately the effect of this will have to be investigated more and realistically the determination of a true thermal neutral zone for calves will probably have to be figured out. Another area that the authors also noted a pre and postnatal interaction was in the area of thermal regulation through respiratory rate. And if you remember those hot and cold calves had the lowest respiratory rate in the AM and PM while the hot hot calves had the highest. 
and that kind of suggests that there's some level of fetal programming by the dam in utero to the fetus to better equip them for hot situations. And perhaps the cooling combined with this allowed them to better cope with overall heat stress. Notably also, the calves from cool dams had less esophageal tube feedings, suggesting they were more resilient than their non-cooled prenatal counterparts. So we, we can have the discussion of what's better, a lower respiratory rate or more thrifty calves. And I, I think we know what most people would pick in that argument. Now, if you add to that, that the cool slash hot calves had lower heart rates, possibly due to the increased hematocrit in calves from cool dams, we can, again, begin to form that clear picture of what's happening in that pre-programming going on in that dam's uterus. I think one other thing or one other concern I have with this study that's understated or maybe undervalued by the authors or just went unstated in the, in the actual article is air quality. In these postnatally cooled pens, air quality was better in the morning, suggesting that the fans helped eliminate the previous day's air particulate pollution overnight, but then weren't enough to overcome normal particulate generation that occurs during an active dairy during the day. And I suspect that the addition of the fans and reductions of these air particle exposure rates would have helped contribute to some of the health event improvements, you know, those things those reductions in fever and infection that the authors saw. Now, given some of my own practice's recent revelations of the importance of bedding type on subclinical pneumonia via lung ultrasound, and as a ventilation specialist and avid lung ultrasound advocate, I would be interested to see this study kind of redone or maybe remodeled with a lung ultrasound component to help with disease prevention and identification and, and the addition of a positive pressure tube system for cooling calves with fresh air rather than recirculated air might also prove beneficial as well. Very interesting to me was the air quality monitoring system they used. Usually I had thought that these would be too expensive, but I looked up the system that they used and they used an LKC-1000S plus air quality monitor available on Amazon for $129. But I think it has some great potential to stimulate air quality consulting conversations with your clients. And while I was doing a little bit of homework looking at one for our clinic, I noticed that some of these, they're obviously in the higher dollar value, maybe another couple hundred bucks, do have a data logger function, which would be invaluable in monitoring heat stress occurring in that barn based on a, a THI, or also monitoring the overall air particulates and when we see spikes, especially when people are bedding. Again, I can't overstate the effect that we're seeing within our practice of that bedding on those actual lung results. Finally, the last thing I really wanna to touch on with you guys on this, again, probing study is the lack of production responses. So obviously, I think we need to wait and see how these animals respond or wait for the authors to create a new research model, but it would be remiss to ignore the potential benefits of long-term improved production through this heat abatement, whether it's prenatal or postnatal, over the short-term growth and or health benefits that we saw in this study and in these animals. And ultimately, I think that this study poses more questions than answers, just like most good research. However, what we can all agree on is that cooling your dry cows 
is a really good idea. And that cooling your calves, as determined by this study and previous studies, tends to have health and welfare benefits. But as of right now, based on our current understanding of the thermal neutral zone of the calf, may sacrifice feed efficiency for these health and welfare benefits. We are simply trying to understand millennia of complex evolutionary and physiologic biology with a handful of calves, 48 calves. So realistically, only time and more research will tell the net outcome of these combined prenatal and postnatal cooling variables. So thank you for joining me today, OTRs. I hope this article provided you a little insight and thought. Hopefully, you can use this information to stimulate a conversation with your client about some dry cow cooling efforts and maybe even some moderate heat abation techniques in their calves as well. Thanks for joining me today, OTRs. Until next time, carry on. If you like this content and want more, you can stop by the Operators Owners website at otovets.com. There you can sign up for our community at otovets.com forward slash Facebook. You can also consume some of our original content at the blog at otovets.com forward slash blog. Thank you for joining us today and we'll catch you next time OTRs.